Good evening, this is Sue Rodwell-Smith and welcome to a book club with our panel, Felicity Bradcliffe, Jean Fairburn and Alice Goulding. Now, this month we are going to review Clara and the Sun by Kazuo Ishiguro and that was recommended to us by Felicity. So, but before we do that, um, Hilary Mantel passed away very, very suddenly at the age of 70 and I know that Jean is a huge fan so I'd just like to know your thoughts on her books uh, from all of you, actually, and what a loss it is to um, literature. So, Jean, as the number one fan in our group, um, I'll get you to start off first of all, please. She's, um, I was reading an obituary, bit of one, comparing her to Dickens. Um, I think it was in the Express. Yeah, she's a great loss. She was working on something, I'm not sure what. But perhaps somebody else can tell me what she was working on presently. But she had a stroke, evidently, and passed away at the age of 70, which isn't old. And that's it, really. Great loss. And that's all you have to say. Just a great loss. OK, well, what about I, you, Miss? I've said it all on October Book Club. OK, well, just in case nobody heard in October Book Club. But it's, on, it's in a podcast. Let's go over to Felicity. Um, well, I, I have to confess that I'm not such a big fan of Hilary Mantel as Jean is. Um, I struggle with her style. I find, I find her sentences quite long and convoluted, and I particularly struggle with her dialogue, um, which is I find quite mannered, and I find it difficult sometimes to tell who is actually speaking in the dialogue. And uh, she has this device, certainly in her books about Cromwell, where she writes, he Cromwell did this and he Cromwell did that, which I, I just find I just find a bit sort of irritating personally. Having said that, clearly there are millions of people who disagree with me. Um, and she is undoubtedly a huge figure on the literary scene. And you know, taken taken from us suddenly and quite quite young. So I think it's definitely a loss to the world of books and literature. Um, I just personally wasn't such a huge fan. Okay, I was listening to a fan um, who eventually became a friend. He just wrote to her, telling her how wonderful she thought this particular book was. I think it was her first book, and they became friends. and she, And he said that she had a terrific sense of humour. And um, she did like the um, the celebrity status that she got later in life, and that when she fir first won her Nobel Prize, uh, Nobel, not Nobel Peace Prize, what, what would it have been Booker Prize? Nobel when she first won a Booker Prize, and um, she said, "Right now, it's sex, drugs, and rock and roll," which I thought was quite amusing. Um, Alice, over to you. What do you think? Uh, well, um, I've I've I managed. I found a I found a couple of nice quotes on Twitter. Lucy Worsley, I don't know, she does yeah, the history sure, programs, yeah. doesn't she? Yeah. She says, um, in 2009, a lady came to, co to a conference we had at Hampton Court about the life of Henry VIII. She sat quietly at the back making notes. She was a reputed novelist. I did not know that, that a goddess was walking amongst us. Mm. I, thought that was, that, I thought that was really rather sweet. Um, and then I've got another one here by Caitlin Moran. Yeah. Hilary Mantel's mind was one of the most powerful and magic machines on earth. We were lucky she wrote as much as she did, but holy goodness, it's devastating that we've collectively lost something so astonishing. 
so yes, so, so there's some lovely um, sort of quotes about her and, and everything. What, what, what did you feel about her writing? Um, I mean, her writing was brilliant, but she just wrote a lot of it. I just found her books rather overlong. I'm, I'm, I quite like. I'm, as you know, I'm a romance writer who likes easy read books, and uh, and I did find them hard going. Um, but you know, you could, she she was she was amazing. And um, sorry, I was going to say something else, and it's completely gone out of my mind. Okay, <laughs> don't worry. I remember this is many many years ago. I don't know when Wolf Hall came out, but it must have been shortly afterwards. And I was um, catching a plane somewhere and I thought, oh, I'll go and get Wolf Hall, which was incredibly thick. And I sat down and then a complete stranger came up to me and said, have you started reading that yet? And I said, no. And he said, it's hard going. That's all he said. And I must admit, I never finished it. It was just too wordy and I just got fed up in the end. So there we are. So Hilary Mantel, I'm sure she is a loss to a lot of people, including G. Okay, so let's go back to Clara and the Sun by Kazuo Ishiguro. Now, I've got two reviews here. Uh, the first is a, is a positive review. They're quite long, ladies, so sit back, have your drinks. This was a lady called Katie Allswick from, from the, the States. This was my first book by Nobel Prize winner Kazuo Ishiguro, and I plan to read more, starting with Never Let Me Go. I really like Clara and the Sun and it lends well to great discussions. This was a book of the month read, and everyone in the chat had so many insightful thoughts and ideas that gave me an even greater appreciation and understanding of this work. This is a literally fiction novel with some sci-fi aspects. Something that the club discussed was that in a traditional sci-fi, there would be more focus on world building, while this is more about the characters and ideas. We are thrown into the world of this novel without being given all the information. I was impressed by how well reveals are made, how well reveals are made, and how every piece comes together. There are some parts, such as what exactly lifting is, that I still don't fully understand, and I believe this book would also be a good one to reread sometimes. Our narrator here is Clara, an artificial friend, essentially a robot. Through her non-human perspective, we wrestle with what it really means to be human. In one scene, a person refers to Clara as a machine, and it was a jarring moment for me as a reader because I had really become attached to her and felt that she was a person. So it was weird to remember that she really wasn't and that there would be many in this world who just viewed her as a machine to serve its purpose. I don't want to give specifics to avoid spoilers, but there are several other moments that further illuminate that idea. The only negative to this book for me was something that happened near the end that felt like a cop-out, as someone in the club described it to me. I was expecting the story to go in a different direction. And now the critical review from somebody in Bath called Mel Warwick. I hated this novel. I simply couldn't see the point. But the author was a Nobel Prize winner, so I kept slogging away to the very end. I figured there must be something worthy in it. After all, one of the world's most celebrated authors had turned his attention to the subject of artificial intelligence. He'd written a science fiction novel. To find out what other readers might see in the book, I turned to the predictably gushing reviews of the establishment's literary critics. So, for the record, Ishiguro does write well. Of course, how could we expect anything else after that Nobel Prize? And there are things about Clara and the Sun that are interesting. Because Ishiguro does a respectable job of world building, if you have the patience to wait him out to get the full picture. 
The novel is set in the near future, but it's barely recognisable. Robots have replaced human beings at nearly every task, and the consequences are predictable. Widespread poverty, desperation, riots in the cities. They're all in the background. With genetic editing, which goes by the unexplained acronym AGE, children are lifted. Presumably, this means they're endowed with exceptional abilities, but some pay a heavy price for this. And Clara and the son, the girl for whom Clara becomes an artificial friend, is mysteriously ill. Apparently, this is the consequence of having been lifted. And her sister had died in a similar manner. It seems that unlifted children can't be expected to compete with those who have gained advantages through age. This scenario comes into focus only in the course of the novel's more than 200 pages. Ishiguro dribbles out the details, which added to my frustration in reading the book. I expected much more from a Nobel Prize winner. Enough said. If you trust the Nobel judges, read the book by all means. If not, I suggest you find something else to occupy your time. There you are. Two very distinct, differing reviews. So let's go straight to Felicity, who recommended the book in the first place. Off you go, Fliss. Okay. Um, so I'm a big fan. I will I will just fess up straight away. I think he's an absolutely brilliant writer. And um, for me, he got me in the first four words of the novel. Um, so his first four words of the novel are, when I was new. So that's just this with that with those four words and that subtle economy. He tells you you're not dealing with a human narrator. This is going to be different. And for me, um, that's when you know you're in the hands of a really good writer who can actually use that economy so effectively. Um, for me, this was a novel um, like the first reviewer said actually about what it means to be human and not human. So right from the start, you know that the protagonist isn't human. But for me, I cared about her very quickly. You know, I really cared about whether Josie was going to pick her in the shop. Um, I thought she was very compassionately drawn and she exhibited just compassion um, throughout the entire novel, far more than any of the, any of the humans did which immediately leads you onto that question, actually, what is it to be human? What, what actually makes us different from these so-called robots? Um, because if it's compassion and fellow feeling, then that's not true because Clara has it in spades and a lot, a lot of the humans don't. Um, so I think for me, it, 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 the whole book sort of examines some very fundamental questions about what it is to be a human being. Um, now we find out, as the, as the critical reviewer said quite rightly, he does, he's a master of the sort of great reveal and he sort of drip feeds it at different points in the novel. Um, so we find out that Clara's purpose is to substitute for Josie if she dies, um, which you, you find yourself thinking, oh, how could that ever be possible? You know, how could a robot take the place of a beloved daughter? And you always also find yourself sort of smiling at Clara's belief that the sun can rejuvenate, um, rejuvenate people and bring them to life. You kind of think, oh, you know, um, uh, isn't that sweet that she thinks she thinks that because obviously she depends on the sun for her own life. So she thinks that humans are the same. 
But then when the concept of lifting becomes clear via different reveals and you find out actually that the humans are um, genetically engineered in some respect, um, you know, they have been interfered with artificially, then Clara's belief that the sun can revive perhaps makes more sense. And it's never explicitly said whether Joseph's recovery is due to Clara's intervention. Um, I'm trying not to give too much away, um, but suddenly her whole sort of um, view of the sun and the sun's power starts, starts to make more sense. And, you know, everything is shades of grey. There's a, there's a very grey line between the humans and the, and the AFs. And that's what I love about him, that nothing, nothing's black and white, everything's shades of grey. And he does it so, so sort of beautifully. He's the master of suggestion. He doesn't tell you, you have to kind of work it out for yourself, but he helps you. Um, obviously the ending, I think was really, for me, really heartrending. what happens to Clara at the end. Um, and the mother, shows a little bit of compassion by ensuring that she gets her slow fade in inverted commas rather than being um, being experimented on herself and, and broken up. Um, but uh, so that that kind of that kind of gives you a bit of a perspective on the humans. And for me, some of the human relationships, particularly the one between Josie and Rick, felt very real and very, very well drawn. Um, so I, I did, I loved it. I can't say I loved it as much as Never Let Me Go, which I think is probably my favorite. It doesn't pack such a visceral punch as that did. Um, I think even though Never Let Me Go and Clara and the Sun are both dystopian novels, for me, this one, um, um, Clara and the Sun, was actually closer to Remains of the Day than to Never Let Me Go, with its sort of subtle suggestion and its drip feeding um, throughout the book. But I thought it was beautifully done and I absolutely loved it. But the reason I chose it was, as the first reviewer says, I think his books always pr provoke a really interesting debate so um, that's the reason I, cho I chose it here. So in short, a fascinating um, discussion of what it means to be human. Are you a, a fan of dystopian novels or not? Um, I am personally. I, I don't read that many of them, but I do, mm. I do, I do like them. Um, and I think he's probably particularly good at them. Okay. All right. Okay, Fliss. Okay, yeah. I mean, I thought this was—I thought this was extremely well written. It's um, very, very, very good uh, in that respect. Um, yeah, it, I found it intriguing from page one um, by the unusual point of view um, of the main character, Clara. She had a naive, childlike sort of way at looking at the world and not judging. Um, she accepted the way things were around her and merely watched. And we, as the reader, watched with her so um i thought that was quite an interesting way of doing it um, so we're forced to we're forced to draw our own conclusions about her situation and the decisions that people around her made as well so um he doesn't give too much away as this said um we're we're sort of led along with a very very loose 
rain and and we can sort of join our form our own conclusions about things um i think uh, i mean for instance the afs he never actually tells us what af stands for i mean i'm presuming it's artificial form but it could be could be anything really i suppose oh bliss seems to know what it is <laughs> i think it's artificial friend oh artificial friend is it so right because it's not it's not mentioned anywhere so um, I thought that was quite interesting that we can just make our own mind up about it. Um, so he trusts the reader to, to form their own conclusions. Um, I don't think the, um, the sun worshipping things unusual, because if you think about it, that's, that's one of the first sort of gods that humans worshipped were sun gods, weren't they? So um, I don't think that's such a big, big leap to, for us to believe that the AF would, would come to the same conclusion and believe that the sun with I mean that's where she gets all her energy from so um why wouldn't she worship it you know so I thought that was quite interesting as well um I think it it's supposed to I I, I don't know whether it's quite, some of the reviews says that it's supposed to be very up, uplifting novel I didn't think it was particularly uplifting at all actually I thought it, I found it terribly sad I just thought the whole thing was very sad um but it might be my, more to, more my attitude to reading it than others might have a different take on it um so um but I did think the world building was brilliant um I, I know one of the review from what you said one of the reviewers that you quoted Sue said they didn't think it was very good world building but I thought it was so subtly done that you didn't realize that they were but you you, you knew what, what what the world was you could picture it so I just thought it was a, a incredibly incredibly done I thought it was a superb example of um world building in in my view I didn't feel an awful lot happened in the book. Um, there wasn't, I mean, I quite like lots of twists and surprises and things like that. And um, there weren't any really. It was a very linear novel. Um, so that's that's perhaps what I found a little bit disappointing about it. But yes, I mean, it was it was brilliantly right. It was brilliantly brilliantly written. Um, I've only ever I've only ever run read one other of his books, and that was um, it was called An Artist of the Floating World. Now that was completely different from this one, um, and it was that it was a it, it was very character driven though. That's one thing that they do have in common is that very character driven. Um, the character in that particular novel was uh, was a Japanese painter. And again, nothing really happened in the novel, um, but it was him looking back on the J Japanese militarism, the rise of Japanese militarism during the war. And it was set over three different time periods. And it was a lot of looking back on what had happened and things like that. So again, it, 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 not, a, not a huge amount happened in it but the but the writing again was superb the world building the you could visualize the scenes and things like that so I can understand why he won the Nobel Prize for Literature um, and he, he's certainly a brilliant writer um, however I mean I quite enjoyed the novel but um, again it, there weren't enough twists in it really for me so that's really my take on it. Okay. And would you read more of his um, 
Yeah, I mean, as I say, I've, I, I, they are the the the, mili- the first one that I read. It was only a short novel, and luckily, it was only a short novel because I, didn't, <laughs> I just I got a little bit fed up because nothing really much was happening. It was all very looking back. This is what happened in 1959. This is what happened in 1949, and you know, and various, and it was lots of little subtle hints about. Again, you had to make your own mind up about it. So. Again, if if you like that sort of thing, if you like, um, you know, reading into books and not not having it spoon fed to you, which is what I quite like. Um, <laughs> so you actually have to work at it. So it's he's the sort of writer you have to work at. So if you like that sort of if you like if you trust the writer to take you on that journey and give you enough clues to work out what's going on, then this is definitely the author for you. If you like everything spoon fed to you and you don't want to work too hard, then I wouldn't recommend him. If you see <laughs> okay, Fliss, do you agree with Alice to a certain extent there? Yeah, I do, I do actually um, very much. And I haven't read Artist of the Floating World, so I will uh, I will go and read it now. But yeah, I, I agree with, um, with what you say, Alice, uh, uh, that he doesn't make a lot happen. And if you were to... Re- if, if somebody asks you what Remains of the Day was about, there's not a lot happens in that either. But it's his style, his style of writing is just so magically sort of economical. And he can convey deep emotion with um, very few words, which I think is um, an incredible talent. So, yeah, I, I agree um, with what you said, Alice, definitely. Um, I read it in a different way, really. I don't read it as science fiction so much as um, the dystopia, dystopian novel. And, of course, the most famous one of the last century was Margaret Atwood's um, Handmaid's Tale, which, of course, we on the TV, and it's totally depressing. And it's about Christian fundamentalism, what would happen if Christian fundamentalists took over. It was a very 80s, very bleak book. Um, I see this as a much kinder version of the dystopian world. Um, why he, he makes his heroine female, or hero person. I've got to be careful, binary genders. Um, but anyway, um, so we've got this science versus nature dichotomy, really. And it's, as Fliss and Alice both said, what it is to be human. And so it's first-person narrative. So these um, kind of, our narration is what it is to be not human. He's trying to put it that side rather than that side. So, um, but in, to me, it's in a long line of books that do ask that question or not ask that question. When you can go back to Mary Shelley's Frankenstein and making of someone in God's image, um, she makes him in man's image and he turns out to be a murder psychopath, the Frankenstein that she made. Um, so that's one, but she asks the question all the time, Mary Shelley, what it is to be human if, 
if man, if scientists interfere, whatever they make will turn out to be flawed. But here, he puts it on his head, I do believe, because he makes the humans flawed. Because they've allowed science to reign. People have given free reign to science. And of course, the scientists have made these lifted, genetically modified humans who aren't very nice. And it's a very competitive world. And I think, in some respects, it's, um, is it a warning about not letting the scientists get away with doing what they want? But they're bound to muck it up. Um, and it's been done by other people like Thomas Mann in Germany, um, turn of last century. And um, there the diseased creatures went south. And if you've read Death in Venice, which is a wonderful book, um, Aschenbach, who's northern, northern European, goes south to Italy, um, becomes corrupted and dies of cholera. <laughs> That's one for as dying of cholera. Um, so it's what it, what is it is to be human. He, yes, there's a sort of toxic masculinity that's out of control in Rick. And yet Rick saves Josie early on. And it's about eugenics. Should one? How far can you go to alter? What makes the human? Um, and it's it's very very good novel. Um, psychologically, I found it a bit of a slow burn. Though. And what was it was all somehow being done before? Dare I say? So although he's a master craftsman, I didn't get terribly excited. I could sort of plot what was going to happen. Um, I was perhaps slightly bored. Okay. And what did you think? What, what was his uh, impression of the uniqueness of humans, do you think? Well, they were, they were flawed because um, they'd let the scientists have, have their way. And, of course, being, being only human, bound to get it wrong, Clara was much more... Godlike, because as Alice says, she worshipped the sun, which she knew was the source of all life, which it is. And of course, I assume she had solar batteries. Did I you like Clara? Did you get to like her, or did you just find it all so terribly boring? Well, it was just a sort of, um, it's a philosophical debate that's been going on for years, hasn't it? And it comes out in various novels like, um, well, Frankenstein, Biden Brooks, Handmaid's Tale, um, 1984, I suppose, really, Animal Farms. They will ask the question about society, man's place in it, the woman's. Yeah, you, you're, you're being like a politician now. You haven't answered my question, Jean. My question was, well, did you know. like Clara? Well, she's a robot. I loved her. 
So did, did, did you look at her as a human or as a robot? I looked at her as a female, deliberately female, because if she'd been male, she would have been horrid. Would she? Right, okay. Well, she'd have been third gender or something that I don't understand. Right, okay. Have you read any of his other books, Jean? No. All right. Would you read any of his other books? No. <laughs> Oh, Fliss. <laughs> well, I think I think I think that was fascinating, Jean. I think think you've got a thesis there, actually, examining <laughs> the evolution of the dystopian novel from yeah. Frankenstein through to Buddenbrooks um, and oh, Hamlet, and Margaret Atwood's Hamlet's Tale to um, Ishiguro. I think that's uh, if it hasn't done before, been done before, that would be a fantastic list. Yeah, because in, in Buddenbrooks, remember. He's got the sort of yellow, he, the ones that are dissolute have kind of yellow hands and the blue veins start to show. And the more dissolute they become, the bluer the veins. Mm. Fascinating. Yeah. See, I'm, a, I'm a huge fan of The Handmaid's Tale as well. So I think oh. I'm probably just temperamentally quite suited to bleak dystopian dystopian novels oh, i've not read the book but i did try and watch the television series and i just thought oh my god no not for me at all so so depressing i didn't yes. even i never even got to the end of it so i don't know what happened but i just thought no i can't sit and watch all this well it's if, if christianity was fundamentalist as um how can I say that? I can't even say it. There's an ISLA word in that. But if you think about the oppression of women, in fact, women have been cancelled. We said this last time, did not we? But you, you think women have been cancelled. I don't, but you do. Yeah. Well, they were in the Handmaid's Tale. Oh, they were in the Handmaid's Tale, yeah. Well, well, the maidens, yes, not the uh, wives. I suppose the wives were to a certain extent. Yeah, women but, um Mm, mm. And what's um because I don't read this sort of stuff, the only book I can think, which you'll probably all laugh at me when I say this, is probably not a dystopian novel, was a Midwich Cuckoos, because this was all about, you know, children that were um enlightened by something. So is this lifting in this book similar? Yeah, I suppose they've been genetically modified. But I don't know if that's more horror. I don't know if there's a it could be a philosophical question, probably is. Oh, well, mind you, the 50s had that stuff like um, Piggy. What was that? Um, Lord of the Flies. Lord of the Flies, yeah. It's all to do with um, psychology, really. Yeah, yeah. Let children go. How far would they go? <laughs> okay. Well, look, we're just coming to the end of part two. And is there anything you want to add to it, the Fliss, as you recommended the book? I think all I'd say is I recommended it, like I said, because I thought it would stimulate an interesting discussion. And um, and I think it has. And I think it's the mark of a good book if if it does um it does actually force people to have yeah. an interesting, um, an interesting sort of philosophical discussion. Excellent. Jean, did you want to say something? I think I've said enough for it. All right, okay. Okay, we're going to close this section and uh, we'll be back shortly. 
Welcome back to part three of Book Club with our review panel, Felicity Radcliffe, Ali Scording and Jean Fairburn. Uh, we have just reviewed Clara and the Sun. And now the uh, book for next month is going to be recommended by Jean. It's by Maggie O'Farrell and it's called The Marriage Portrait. So, Jean, why do you wish to recommend this novel? Because Hamlet was so good and this is her latest and it's hot off the press. And what, it's, what is it about? Lucretia Borgia, um, she marries the Duke of Ferrara. It's in early 15th century Italy. And of course, you had the Medici's up in Florence, had the Borgias in Rome, and they fought for territory in between. I haven't read it yet, but I've just got it. Um, okay. All right. So, ladies, you're happy to have that for next month? Absolutely. Yep. Okay, so Maggie O'Farrell's a marriage portrait. Now, as you were talking about Mary, Maggie O'Farrell, I saw something on, um, I was look, going through, um, I think it was Prime Video, seeing what to watch one evening. And I came across Kenneth Branagh's All of Us. Do you know about this film? None of you? All shaking your heads. You it's will not, love it's it. Not, it's not his life in Ireland when, when no, he was No, that's football. Belfast. That's the film called Belfast. no. This is um, All of Us. It's written by Ben Elton. It stars Kenneth Branagh as William Shakespeare, Judy Dench as Anne Hathaway, and Ian McLennan as the Marquis of, I've forgotten his name now, um, who is um, Shakespeare's uh, patron. It starts where the globe has, um, has burnt down and Shakespeare goes back to Stratford-upon-Avon and stays there until his death and doesn't write anything else again. And the whole film is about the relationship with his son Hamnet. And of course, I thought of Maggie O'Farrell's book, which I did enjoy, even though I found it wordy, I did enjoy the book. And it's it's marvellous. And I sat there watching it and I thought, gosh, all three of you have got to watch this. Um, if you if I'm a huge Branagh fan anyway, and um, you know, he always has the same actors around him, which is nothing wrong with that because they're all brilliant. But it, it was it was just absolutely brilliant. And um, it just took him to his death. The relationship uh, with although obviously um, there's a lot of um, poetic license in there um, you know, obviously we've got the basic facts as we did with uh, Maggie O'Farrell's book but he's done a story around the relationship with his other daughters um, with Judith who was Hamnet's twin and then his elder daughter Susanna and the relationship between him and his wife Han, um, uh, Anne Hathaway and it really it really was brilliant so I really really do urge you to watch it ladies. What's it called? All of Us, which is the alternative title to Henry VIII, apparently. So um, where do we find that, Sue? Where Prime I... Video. Prime Video, sorry. Yeah, yeah, Prime Video. And I really, please, please, please watch it. And you can tell me what you think next month. Because I did think of all three of you. Of all my mates, I thought, no, who's going to enjoy watching this? And I thought, no, a lot of them won't. But I know you three will. So, um, so enjoy it. So, ladies, what did you think of our dear Queen's funeral? Wonderful. Impressive. Wonderful from Jean, Alice, Felicity. Well, I, I, I'm afraid I didn't watch it. So you're, you're, you're not a royalist, are you? I'm, I'm, no, not terribly. We, we were away on holiday. I was in the sea in my swimming cosy on the beach with all these nice young things in their wetsuits. And I'm there in my, I'm there in my swimming costume in September in the sea. <laughs> I was a sight to behold, shall we put it that way? And I, had, I did get a very nice wink from 
one of the one of the one of the you know the guards lifeguards um, <laughs> Where was came this? out <laughs> and I was thinking I oh, really I ought to have pretended I was in trouble but I probably needed <laughs> two of them to come in and swim and rescue me so <laughs> I decided not to <laughs> and where was this I went to Bude in Cornwall oh you're in this country yeah. right yes. okay yes it was uh, the weather was absolutely gorgeous we were so so lucky um and the sea actually once you got over the initial cold shock, it was actually not not too cold, really. Once you'd been in it, but I think I, I was in it for about an hour, and I think that was that was enough. Right. Okay. So, Bude, would that be on English Channel or the all the other no, way around? I, I think no. I think it's just I think it's on the Atlantic. Atlantic just. side. Right. Okay. Okay. And Fliss, what did you think? Did you watch it? I did. I watched it um, right up until she left London for Windsor. So I didn't mm. watch the committal, but I watched the rest of it. Mm. I thought it was um, beautifully done, amazingly well organised. I mean, I do think we do this kind of thing extraordinarily well. Best um, in the world. Best in the yeah. world. I, I think it was a very moving tribute to somebody who dedicated her whole long life to uh, to serving serving the country yes and, and you know who I think I think you know wherever you stand on royalty it was an extraordinary life yes yes yeah, to celebrate yes well so, I was going to, I was going to go up with um, my friend Mark who um, has spinal cord injury and he's on crutches now and so we because we were told there was an accessibility queue and um, I got all ready to go up on the Saturday, I got all ready the night before, everything ready to go early. And then my daughter contacted me to say that the accessible queue, they've stopped um, giving out slots and you had to go up there at midday. And then Mark just said, look, Sue, so, you know, we could get there and get through all the crowds, etc. And then they give us a slot for the next day. Um, so we didn't go in the end, and I was really, really disappointed we didn't go. But then I heard that um, Saturday evening, uh, they all the slots had gone for Sunday anyway. So um, although I was disappointed, I, I was really sensible because I thought, I can't walk very far. Um, you know, I'll get there and just, just you know, have to come back again. So um, I, I didn't, I didn't um, go in the end. But I must admit, I'm a huge royalist, and um, I had the lying in state on my laptop all the time, 24-7, I had, not 24-7, when I was away. And just watching the people go through, I thought was very, very moving. And just the, the range of different people as well, um, especially when the old military guys came through with all their medals and everything. I'm, I'm an old soppy. But I thought the most, um, the most emotional time was at the committal, um, where they took off the coffin, her crown, the organ scepter, and then they broke the wand um, saying it's the end of that reign. I thought that was all very moving. My brother who lives in Berlin, he was watching it and um, he said, you know, only the British can do this. Only the British can do this, uh, especially the queuing for so long. But again, as we all say, it's the end of an era and the start of another one. And we'll see how Charles does. I mean, he's, 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 he's an old man. He's not young. Um, how he's going to cope with it all and, and her as well. Camilla, I thought she looked incredibly strained the whole time. Maybe she's suddenly realised the responsibility that goes with this position. I wouldn't want it. I'm sure none of us would want it in a million years. You've all gone quiet on me. You're going to say something. 
was it was wonderful. It was so well done. I especially like the bit um, of in Scotland when they were coming down the um, Royal Mile. Yes, I liked um, I liked the bit in Scotland where um, she was being transported and the roads were lined with people on horseback. Yes, tribute yeah. to her as as a horsewoman and part yes. of the riding community. Yes, yes. And she was riding right up to last June, or this June, you know. It's um, little old bones. Old bones, yes, yes, exactly. Um, but she, her horses got shorter and shorter and she ended up with a little fell pony, which I think I could just about manage. Um, but, uh, yeah, yeah, anyway, new, new era, new times, and um, we'll see how um, the king does see how he does okay ladies well thank you very much for this evening and as uh, we've said it is maggie O'Farrell's the marriage portrait the marriage portrait and yes. i think i'll go and get the book because i did enjoy hamlet very much okay ladies thank you very much indeed have a great month and i'll see you at the end of october thank you sue bye thank for you. now bye, bye.